First Peter chapter 3. We're going to look tonight, verses 17 through 22. I'll get there in just a moment. How many remember back in 2012, 2012, there was a baker. He owned, he owned, um, he owned a company called Masterpiece Cake Shop out in Colorado. And he refused to make a cake for a sodomite wedding. Remember that? And, of course, they sued him. And he spent next several years in court uh, battling that lawsuit. It made it its way all the way to the Supreme Court, where in 2018, the Supreme Court came back and said that the Colorado Civil Rights uh, Commission acted with anti-religious bias, don't you say? Anti-religious bias. And, of course, that seemed to be maybe the end of his problems there. But it really wasn't because the very day that the Supreme Court agreed to take the case in 2017, he got a call at the cake shop. It was another customer. They called and they asked for a cake. They wanted blue icing and a pink cake because it was their transgender reveal cake. There was their celebration of their transgender shift from a girl to a man or a man to a woman, however, whichever way it went, right? And uh, the man's wife said, no, no, I'm Amen. sorry, we can't do that. And what do you know? Another lawsuit. And so he had spent uh, so much time back in court and back and forth. I don't, it, it'll, they'll probably never stop, this guy. But, uh, you know, it, this, this is what it looks like. Um, this is one way, this is one avenue that it looks like when suffering comes into the life of a believer because of a stance that they take. It may not be the same type of suffering that some Christians are, are experiencing in other lands. I mean, thankfully in the U.S. we're not yet being, you know, uh, flogged by, by, um, by gangs and, and things like that because of Christianity, at least where we live right here. Well, I'm not, I don't have any fear of that. We're, we're not getting our house burned down. We're not getting our church burned down. I mean, we're not having things like that. But, but this cake, one, I mean, this is, that's kind of close to home to us because, I mean, it's, it's right here in the old U.S. of A. where all this religious freedom is supposed to be. And, uh, and so, you know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul told Timothy, didn't he? he? He told him, yea, and that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. And really, suffering has been somewhat, here towards the end of the book of Peter, 1 Peter, or you could say all of 1 Peter, has been the subject, suffering has been the subject of the letter here that we have from Peter. Some suffering comes because of tyrannical governments who hate Christianity, right? But some suffering comes when we choose to obey God. Now, granted, I mean, that's where the tyrannical governments come in because... Right? We choose to obey God. We do what Peter himself said. Remember when Peter himself said, we ought to obey God rather than man. And we come to those places. We've come here. I mean, we'll be here probably once again in our own nation. We'll be dealing with things like this. But the suffering in First Peter is the suffering that comes from being obedient. Right? Back in chapter 2 and verse 13, he introduced to us submission. Right? Submission. Uh, 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 servants to masters. Submission. Wives to husbands. Submission. Husbands to God and how they love their wives and uh, take care of their wives. Submission. And then over in First Peter chapter 2, back in chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, uh, we see here that we, there is a thing of suffering for doing well. 
suffering for doing well. And it's that suffering, not because you messed up, not because you chose the bad road, not because you're being a dope, right? The suffering for doing well, that's the suffering that gets God's attention. Look at chapter 2. Let me show you this to you. Look at verse 19. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience sakes toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently, right? My cousin called me one day. I won't tell you which one, but a cousin of mine called me and uh, they had borrowed uh, my, my equipment, my skid steer. <clears throat> and they called and said, hey, uh, which, which black... Uh, which black cap comes off? Where, where does the diesel, diesel go in? The left one or the right one? I said the right one. Uh-oh. <laughs> they had filled up, they had filled up, put diesel in the hydraulic uh, chamber where the hydraulic fluid goes. Yeah. And I went, uh-oh, <laughs> right? And so he called back later and he said it, he, it spent about $600 fixing it. He had to flush the system three times. I said, tell you what, I was getting ready to replace the filters anyway. I'll pay for the filter. Don't worry about the filter. I'll pay for that. He goes, no. When you do something this stupid, you pay for all of it. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> right? Hey, see what it says here? For, uh, for what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? Well, you ought to, right? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. God takes note of that suffering, right? This is, and this is what we're talking about tonight, the suffering that God takes notice of. And uh, we were called to do this. This is what we were called to do as Christians. Look at verse 21. For even here too were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. We have been called to respond to God in obedience, even if it brings suffering. Why? Well, because suffering has a greater purpose. Suffering has a greater purpose. Suffering does have an eternal reward and an eternal outcome. We'll see that a little bit later. But, but suffering also has a greater purpose in rejoicing. We rejoice. Listen to Colossians 1.23. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which it was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Who was, was he suffering for himself? No, he said, I was suffering for you. And fill up that which is behind of the affliction of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. So in our text, there is a, tonight, when we, we're going to be over here in chapter 3, finishing up chapter 3. But in the text tonight, we're talking about suffering. We're talking about rejoicing in suffering. We're talking about suffering that has a purpose. We're talking about suffering in the, in the believer's life that has an eternal reward, an eternal destiny or goal in it. In the text here tonight, though, there is this, this nugget, right? There's this little bit of a hidden gem that reveals why it is that we can rejoice in suffering. Why it is. It's really, it's really neat. But if you'll notice our text, look at 1 Peter. Now look at chapter 3. Now look at verse 17. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing 
than for evil doing. I want you to take note of something. You can underline it. If the will of God be so. Now, as, as children of God, we don't look for suffering. We don't look for martyrdom, right? Remember what I've said? It's really hard to preach the gospel dead, right? God, God has chosen us to go out in the highways, hedge and compel them to come in. and say God, all the world preach the gospel. We're supposed to be preaching the gospel. It's hard to preach the gospel, right, when, when you're dead. I mean, we don't look for suffering. We don't look for martyrdom. If it be the, the Lord's will, I mean, well, yeah, well, we, we rejoice in it. But, uh, but it's got to be God's will, okay? We don't go just looking for it. Some people do. And so, verse 17, uh, verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the, day, waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water, the like figure. Now, we're not going to get into this tonight about the, the, the like figure of baptism. Can I ask you something? Is a photograph a real thing? Is it the, the, the people in the photograph, that's not real, is it? It's a like figure. If I showed you a, a picture on the front of my phone, it's my wife, right? As she's standing on the boardwalk. In Atlantic City, don't tell. I don't want to tell you why she went to Atlantic City, but she she followed me there. That was the problem, right? I was doing some work around there, and here she. I have a picture of her on my phone. There she's standing on the boardwalk. Do you know it was the first time? Like was that a few years ago? How many years ago was that? First time I realized that's where Monopoly got all the names for the roads on the game. I didn't know that. I just it's like oh, these are all the names of the Monopoly roads here at Boardwalk and Park Place and. Brother Earl's going, oh my, really? <laughs> I didn't grow up there, brother. So, uh, and so, but I have that picture of her. You know what that is? That's not her. That's a like figure. That's a like figure. Baptism isn't salvation. Salvation is spiritual. Baptism is physical. Physical represents, uh, pictures the spiritual, but baptism isn't spiritual. It doesn't save, right? This is the like figure. We're not going to get in. I said we're not going to. I just did. But anyway, we could spend a lot more time on that. The like figure were into even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Doesn't wash sin away. But the answer of a good conscience towards God. That's baptism. It's a, it's a good conscience towards God. It's obedience. First step of obedience. It adds you to the body. Right by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. And so we see here in our text, I've already laid it out pretty simply, that Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered. We see this here in the text. How did he suffer? Well, three ways he suffered. Uh, three ways. Well, yeah, three ways. He suffered. He suffered emotionally. Um, he suffered emotionally. He knew what it was to be ridiculed. He knew, to, he knew what it was uh, to, to be made a mockery of. Remember when he went to, he would, the, the, the damsel or the little girl had died and they'd brought him in and he said, she just sleeps and it says they, they, they laughed him to scorn. Well, they weren't laughing when she walked out of there, 
right? <laughs> but but he, he knew what it was to be ridiculed. He knew what it was to have mo- be mocked. He knew what it was for rejection, or the rejection of those that he loved, the rejection that he came. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost, and they rejected him. He came for his own, his own the Bible says, and his own received him not. And he looked out over Jerusalem. He said, I would have, I would have gathered you together as a, as, as a hen gathers her chickens, but ye would not. He knew what it was to be rejected. He knew what it was to suffer emotionally. He knew what it was to suffer physically, right? He knew what it was to, 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 to hunger and to thirst and to no exhaustion when he came to that, that well there. Uh, and he sat down because he had walked like 30 miles by that point. I think it was about 30. It was about a halfway point all the way to Galilee. I think Jerusalem to Galilee. If I remember right, I may be wrong, but about 60 miles. It was a long way. He stopped. He needed some water. He needed to rest. It, when, when Jesus put on human flesh, he put on a body, right, that experienced all of the human experiences that there was. So he knew what it was to hunger and to thirst and to be exhausted and to be ridiculed and to be mocked and to be rejected. But, but he also knew what it was to have a broken heart. Right? The word grieve. Do you know that word grieve? And the first time we see that word is in Genesis when God was looking out over, over uh, the humanity just before he flooded it, and he said he grieved him that he had made man, right? It grieved him in the heart, and it repented him that he had made man. And in Mark chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus, the, the Pharisees were, of course, doing what Pharisees do, and Jesus was trying to do what he was doing, which is good. He was always going about, right? The Bible says he went about doing good, right? And in Mark 6, 35, he said, When he had looked round about of them on them with anger, the religious crowd, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. We saw that when the Holy Spirit of God, when we grieve him, that word grieve means to, to, to disappoint, to break, as in to break his heart. God, God, God's, God has a, God's heart can be broken. Jesus understood what that was. He was grieved for the hardness of their heart. So he knows what it was like to suffer in a human body. He knows what it is to hunger and to, and to have emotional uh, uh, ridicule and things like that. He knows what it is uh, uh, to, to have a broken heart. But you know what? He knows what it is at Calvary, which I think Calvary, watch this, it seems like Calvary was a culmination of everything that Jesus suffered. I mean, there is the physical pain. There was the emotional pain. His disciples had all fled. Think about that. The ones that walked with him for three and a half years, they all ran away, except for John was there, and his mom was there, and the women were there. But the rest had all, had all run away. There was the mockery. If thou be the Christ, you know, come down, take yourself down, and uh, prove it to us, is what they were saying. Well, good night. He could have called 12 legions of angels if he wanted to. Right? But it wasn't why he was there. But he, he understood the mockery. He understood the rejection. He understood being f- left alone and, and the physical pain and the emotional pain. And what about the heart pain, though, at Calvary? What about the heart pain? Remember those words he cried out? My God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Right? For the first time ever, God brought his lamb to the sacrifice, but he turned away and he couldn't look. He's of pure eyes and behold evil. 
canst not look upon sin. He who knew no sin was made for sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. No, Jesus put on sin, and Jesus became sin, and He suffered the pain uh, of the suffering that went on that day at Calvary. It seems like every suffering possible that could have been experienced by Jesus Christ was experienced at one time at Calvary. In Hebrews 12, too, it gives us a little insight why Jesus would even go through this type of suffering. The Bible tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down to the right hand of the throne of God. For the, did you hear that? For the joy that was set before him. Why did he suffer? Jesus endured suffering because joy was on the other side. What was the joy on the other side? To show you what was on the other side, I'm going to show you what was on the other side. But I'm going to to do it through our text here. I'm going to show you this. And I want to show you this first. I want you to notice something here in verse 18. The Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. I hope you you find joy in your heart. I I hope joy kind of builds up in your heart when you see that word once. (laughs) He was smitten one time. Amen? No, this is a good thing, right? He, he, he died once for all, amen? He is never going to go through this again. It, why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient. No, the blood of bulls and goats wasn't, but His blood was. And He is only going to, hey, He was only going to suffer one time. One time. That's why the Bible says if you could lose your salvation, it, Paul says you'd have to crucify Christ afresh. Why? Because the blood wasn't sufficient then. If you can, hey, if he, if the blood is powerful enough to cleanse you of sin, but isn't power, power enough, powerful enough to keep you, for, uh, keep you, uh, and and, and uh, to keep you until the end, I mean, then it's not powerful enough at all. Right. It, it, listen, it would have to, he'd have to die once again, but he didn't. He died once for all. Look at once for sins. No, not his sin, right? Our sin, right? What was that sin that was put on him? Well, it was our sin, all of our sin. It was rolled up and laid upon him. And uh, he died once for our sins, the just for the unjust. Why? To put to death in the flesh. That's why he had to put on a human body. Man sinned, right? Man, paid the, man did the crime. Man, you, you can do the time. Well, no, man couldn't do the time. Our, blood wasn't, our blood's wicked. We can't, we can't pay for our own sin. So what did God do? The second person of the Godhead, He put on flesh. He was born of a virgin. He had God's blood. And He offered His own blood, the Bible says. He offered His own blood upon the altar. And it was sufficient. He put to death, put to death in the flesh, the, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Quickened by the Spirit. It's interesting. So, there's two things going on here on the same time. First, he's dead. The body's dead, right? They went out with a spear, put it in the side, the water and blood came out, said, yeah, he's dead, he's dead. A lot of times, you know, the crucifixion, they can sit there for days. 
They do it just right. They want him to, to agonize. They don't want him to die quickly. They want him to have a slow death. Well, why did Jesus die so fast? He said, I'll tell you why. Because he said, I lay my life down and I take it up again. Why? He Listen, he, he died exactly when he wanted to die. That's what happened. He gave up the ghost. He went on. He was, his job was done. The blood was shed. And he watched even to the very end. He was showing he was in complete and total control of the situation. Yeah. So what happened? They wrapped him up. They put him in that tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And the body's laying in there. But while the body's laying in there, <laughs> Jesus is somewhere else preaching. <laughs> so you have the physical side. He's dead. The body's dead. You have the spiritual side. He's preaching. Where? Look what it says. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, Jim, I'm sorry, we're not going to get into this tonight. Because this could be, we could, we could dive into this for a long time. But we're just going to, we're going to just hit this on the surface. And uh, I have a, listen, let me just say this. I'll say this and we'll move on. I have a lot of problem with the, with the explanation of what the Nephilim are today and this fascination with the Nephilim. There's a lot of problems with uh, angels having marital relationships with human beings and creating this weird giant race, okay? But we're not going to get into that. I, I reject that uh, premise, and uh, we'll save all of that for the next time we have coffee and we want to talk about something really exciting, okay? But I just want to deal with what's here right now. He says, by the also which he went and preached to the spirits, he went and preached to the spirits uh, in, in heaven. So while his physical body was in the grave, he was alive spiritually. Watch, just like he was before he put on a human body. Right? He's God. He's eternal. He's the second person of the Godhead. So what happened? The, the body that he put on at, at, at the conception in the womb of Mary got laid aside again, and he just went back to before he, like he would have been without it, right? It's no big deal. And he's preaching. He's preaching. Who are these spirits? Turn over to Jude chapter... Chapter what? Four. Okay, Jude chapter 4. Whatever you want. Whenever you get to Jude, just look at verse 5 and 6. You can call it whatever chapter you want. 4. Jude says in chapter in verse 5, chap, we'll just call them each chapters. There are 24 chapters in Jude. How about that? 25, no. Yeah, 25. Look at verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this. <laughs> you once knew this. I like that. How that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Boy, I tell you what, there's a, there's a message there. Do you realize? Everybody of Israel went out, they got to, hey listen, they got, they got to enjoy the exodus in their own land, but not all of them that went out were believers. Do you know, listen, a lot of people get to enjoy the, the forward movement of a church, but they're not all believers. And God will still judge. God will still take care of those. They may look like they're all a part of the group, but they're not. They're not. They don't believe. So here he is, and he says, uh, the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, right, but left their own habitation, 
He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of that great day. Now, what do we know about these? The only thing that we really know is that in the days of Noah, and it talks about here in, in the days of Noah, the, the angels that, that had fallen and that had gone with Satan, they, they had done something to where a certain group of these angels were chained up and they will stay chained until the judgment. And I don't know what they did. Uh, we can surmise all the day long what they did. And some people have some ideas that might even be plausible. It might sound interesting, but I don't know what they did. But God chained them up. But I want to show you this. So Jesus has suffered. He suffered on Calvary. His body's in a grave. He went and preached to those uh, to those uh, uh, those uh, devils, those fallen angels that are in prison. We know in Ephesians it tells us that he led captivity captive. We 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 believe that he, we know he took the saints that were awaiting for the Messiah. He took them with him. So paradise went with Jesus. And so notice verse twenty though. Okay, let's read nineteen again. Let's run up to it. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Now, Jesus has gone through greater suffering than any human being will ever go through. We will never come close to the suffering that Jesus suffered. Why did he do this? I mean, I know we, we know why he did this. But there's a neat little nugget in verse 20 that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Do you notice this? Look what it says. Which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited. The long-suffering of God waited. Yeah. I don't know if you can really take that in, allow that to sink in, that God waited. God waited. What was He waiting on? Well, He waited for Noah to build an ark. took 120 years, didn't it? He waited for him to build an ark. Why? Well, so he could preach. No, God had determined in Genesis 6, He had determined that He had repented him, that He had made man. It grieved Him in His heart that He had made man. He had determined that He was the only way to fix this problem is to wipe all of man off the planet, right? But, it, but before He did that, He waited. He waited for Noah to build an ark. He waited for Noah to preach. Second Peter, Peter's going to write later in his next letter, he sends out here, he's going to call Noah that preacher of righteousness. God was waiting for Noah to preach. God was waiting for the ark to be completed. Not only did Noah preach with words, undoubtedly, people came along and, what are you doing, Noah? Well, let me tell you, judgment's coming. Uh, what do you mean, judge? It's going to flood and it's going to rain. What's that? What's rain? 
I don't know, but God said so. Oh, you're a crackpot. Well, I might be, but I know what God said. Well, he, for 120 years, he preached. For 120 years, watch, he built an ark. Not, not, not only was, was the, the words of the preaching the message, but the ark itself was the message. Watch this. When they looked at this big boat, right? they, they looked at this monstrosity, which watch, ah, it made no sense to them. It had no application to where they were living. The, the, remember, mist still came up out of the ground. It, had, it didn't rain. They didn't know what rain was. They didn't know what flooding was. They had absolutely no idea how to even wrap their mind around anything that was being warned of. The only thing they knew was this guy said he was from God, Right? And, and, and this, this judgment's coming and a flood is coming. And the only way that, listen, we can get, escape the coming judgment is to get onto this boat that he made. So not only were the words preaching, watch, but the boat itself was the message. Right? It was. The, the world couldn't see the need, right, until it was too late. This, this has happened so often. But watch this. God waited 120 years for Noah to build an ark. He waited 120 years to preach. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God waited because he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God waited because he loves the world. Watch this now. Jesus suffered because God waited. And God waited because he wanted to rescue men and women and boys and girls from the coming judgment. See, look at verse 18. Look what it says. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. God waited. He waited. Do you realize, what does the whole thing of waiting mean? What does it mean that he waited? It means that God went through means and measures and whatever need necessary so that he could rescue us. Which meant what? Jesus was going to suffer. Yeah. That he might bring us to God. God waited. God waited, which caused suffering. You know, you know Noah had to suffer too. He had to build a boat for 120 years. He had to suffer ridicule. He had to suffer mockery. He had to suffer rejection. He might have hit his, his, his thumb with a hammer, whatever they had. I'm sure he got a few splinters. I'm sure his body ached. Right? I'm sure, I mean, I think if your life's goal is to build a boat and they've never seen rain before. Weird. Right? No, he suffered. God called, no, called, God called on Noah to suffer. Jesus suffered and Noah suffered. Watch, we suffer today. This is what we're talking about here in 1 Peter. Look at, verse, look at chapter 4 and verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We suffer today. And we suffer for a purpose. Jesus suffered. Noah suffered. No, listen, we suffer. We suffer. Why? Why do, why do we experience the suffering that we do for the cause of Christ? Why do, no, today, today. Why do we suffer today? <laughs> because God is waiting. 
He's waiting. No, he's still waiting today, isn't he? He's still waiting. He is. Why? Judgment's coming. Hebrews 9 to 27. It's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. If you are still breathing air, the invitation is still opening. open. If, if Jesus hasn't returned and you are on the planet uh, breathing up God's air and you haven't come to a place of faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you tonight, they, God is waiting for you. He's waiting for you to come. And that's why Jesus suffered. And that's why we suffer. We suffer like him. What, why are we suffering? Because we're preaching the ark. We're preaching the ark, right? We're preaching in word, right? We, tell, we preach people, we tell people the word with our mouth. But watch, we also, the, remember the ark, the, the ark itself was the, was, was the message, right? When we preach Jesus Christ, he's the ark. He is the message, right? It's so simple. Jesus is the ark. He is the message. We are preaching today. And if we are going to preach Jesus Christ, and we're preaching because God's waiting, if we're going to preach Jesus Christ, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. We've been called to be ambassadors for Christ. You know, the role of an ambassador brings suffering. One of Jesus' ambassadors, it does. It absolutely does. I don't know about you, but, you know, many of us have been around long enough that when you preach the gospel enough, yeah, people don't, you know, some people walk away. Ones that you thought were your friends are not your friends. The ones that you, your heart aches for the most, they reject you the most. No, it's suffering, isn't it? But watch, this is the suffering that brings joy, though. Isn't that weird? Jesus said it for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross. What's the joy that sets sets before us? Well, it's doing the will of our Father. Can I tell you there is no greater joy than watching somebody humble their heart before God and pray and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive them? And to save them, there is nothing greater. It's worth every bit of suffering to watch somebody come to Christ and to watch them get discipled and watch them grow and watch them change and watch the, watch the joy that you have because the same, they, they, then they have the same joy in their life. Nothing greater than that. It's the reason why we, when we go out, we're ridiculed. We're mocked. Some parts of the world and some parts of the country, they get physically attacked. Sometimes it's just a broken heart like Jesus. Not the same. (laughs) But sometimes it's just a broken heart when people say no to Jesus. Sometimes it's a broken heart when family says no. Sometimes it's a broken heart. You ever seen those? It's like, uh, uh, no offense, but you'll see these people. they're, They're 75, 80, 85 years old. It's like, friend, you don't have much time left on the planet. And they go, nah, I don't want it. Breaks your heart. I mean, and none of us may be alive tomorrow, I mean, right? But I mean, just in the natural course of life, uh, at 80, 85 years old, you don't have a lot of time left. Yeah. It's suffering. It's suffering. But that suffering brings joy when one comes to Christ. 
right? It's worth it all, isn't it? It's worth it all. You know, the reminder for us tonight, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Why did he say that? Well, because God's waiting. He's waiting. You know, over in Revelation, we are talking about this tonight, my wife and I talking about this tonight, where, where God said, God said that he gave that Jezebel space to repent. God's a merciful God. And he's waiting on people. You know what he's called us to do? To take up that same mantle of the Lord Jesus and preach Christ, even if it brings suffering. Yeah. That's where the joy in life's found. I know, it's a paradox. It doesn't make sense, right? But it really is. You, know, only, you can only tell that to a child of God, and they go, oh, yeah. Tell that to somebody who's not a child of God. They're like, huh? That's weird. <laughs> Over in, in our back of chapter 2, 1 Peter 2.21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. You know, something has happened in our world, in our, in our nation, in the little area, little world that we live in, in America, and I wouldn't want to change. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to live in Iran, okay? You gotta, some people are like, oh, it's terrible. I'm like, well, yeah. go say that in Iraq, see how it goes, right? But no, no, there, but really, there's, there's, there's a problem that has been created with our, with all that we have, with our wealth, with our excess. Right with the creature comforts that we have, it, it's become really hard for us to want to suffer. We don't like it. Right. We get a little bit out of shape if only one bathroom works out of three. <laughs> right. I mean, no, it's it's not it's not comfortable. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, if that's our problem, we don't have problems. And what, is, what that has fostered and built in us is that we so quickly shy away from suffering. Well, I don't want to knock on a door because oh, it just makes me feel awkward. I don't want to say anything to anybody because I just kind of, what if they say something mean, right? I mean, I mean just go, to, go right down the list. But we're called to this. We are called it to it. And Jesus even left us the example. He left us the example. And we're supposed to follow in his steps. Judgment's coming. No, God's waiting right now. He's waiting. And because he was waiting was why Jesus suffered. And because he is waiting, it's why we suffer. And while people are still reachable, while people are still reachable, the question that falls on us that we have to answer is will we choose to suffer with Christ to reach them? Yeah. Over in Philippians 3.10, Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. How many have prayed that? Oh God, I want to, I, Lord, I just want to be, I, I, I just, I just, I just want to know the fellowship of your suffering and I want to be made conformable unto your death. <laughs> I've never heard that one at the supper table. Lord, well, the food is bad enough, it might be thought that way, but no. No, we don't pray that, do we? Paul prayed that. Paul prayed that. Maybe that's why we're so unhappy. Maybe that's why joy is so elusive. Maybe that's why we just can't be pleased half the time. Right? Maybe because we haven't trusted God that the path the path, the path to the joy that's set before us is on the path of suffering. Following in the steps of the Lord Jesus. So let's do this this year. It's still the beginning of the year, February, beginning of February. I don't know if you can say Happy New Year still. I don't know how long you have to, when you have to stop saying Happy New Year. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody, a written rule out there. But I still consider it the beginning of the year. Let's embrace suffering. No, not, we're not seeking martyrdom, right? We're saying, Lord, I will, I will follow in your steps and I'm not even going to consider. I'm not even going to worry about, not even going to consider what the outcome of it is. I'm just going to do what you want me to do. Yeah. We need to embrace suffering. We need to keep preaching Christ. Why? Well, God's waiting. He's giving, listen, He is giving people space to repent. Just like He gave you space to repent, and He gave me space to repent. And uh, we just need to keep preaching Christ. This is the joy of suffering. Knowing that God is waiting. (laughs) Just as He waited for you. Oh, we could... We could sit and meditate on that for a while, couldn't we? How you look back over the years and you see how patiently God waited, <coughs> reeling you in with grace and mercy. Right? Think of all the times that you probably should have been dead. Think of all, you look back at your life and think how often the reality of the fact that you deserved hell, every last, every last bit of it, but He waited for you. Do you know somebody else suffered for you? To reach you, somebody else suffered while God was while God was waiting on you. Yeah, we ought to do the same thing. Our Father, thank you tonight that you wait. I don't know if I I, I can't even express how profound that really is. I can't even express in words. I don't have the words to express how beautiful that is and how powerful that is. That you wait on us. You're waiting. You waited for 120 years for a people that could have come into an ark, but they refused. And you're waiting today for a people to come into the ark, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, because you're waiting, we're going to suffer to bring Him the gospel. Lord, would you help us to get past all of these Silly little things that keep us back. 
and help us to know that the real joy in life is found in preaching Christ and suffering as our example did the Lord Jesus. Would you help us not to be afraid of living the Christian life, but that we'd go forward? Would you just help us to do that? Would you change us this year? And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight, and the instruments can play. Invitation is open. What about you this morning? Tonight. It's tonight. (laughs) What about you? Are you one that could raise your hand to God and say, you know what, Lord, I'm in. I don't know what it's going to look like. But you know what, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to watch my life just drift away, uh, accomplishing nothing. And I want to serve you, whether the suffering comes or not. Whether the rejection comes, whether... Whether the, 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 the emotional pain comes, whether the physical pain comes, as long as you're waiting, I want to be one to try to reach them. How many have family that need to be reached? Yeah. Quite a few, huh? Yeah. Have you have you drawn a line of what you'll endure to reach them? I'll do this, but I won't do this. I'll go this far, but I won't go that far. Have you drawn a line? <laughs> May God help us. Not to do that. To embrace whatever comes as we persuade men. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm sure thankful God waited. Amen. Waited on every one of us. (laughs) Thankful for that. Let's be closed in a word of prayer tonight. We're going to be dismissed here. Well, men's. Uh